welcome to episode 54 of About IBD. I'm Amber Tresca. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at age 16 and had two-step J-pouch surgery 10 years later. I'm the person behind AboutIBD.com and the About IBD social media platforms. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. My guest is Jen McGregor of Crony Clothing. Jen has Crohn's disease and lives with a permanent ostomy. For the most part, having inflammatory bowel disease does not affect the fertility in either men or women, with a few exceptions. Jen, however, is one of those whose fertility was reduced by her illness, and she does want to have children. She found it necessary to take action in her early 20s to preserve her ability to have a biological child. She's sharing her compelling story with me because she wants to make sure that people living with IBD have all the information that they can about the possible side effects of these diseases and what it's like to undergo fertility treatments at a young age. I first became aware of Jen's story over Twitter. A gastroenterologist, Dr. Cherubati, who's director of the IBD Center at Johns Hopkins Sibley Memorial Hospital, runs a Twitter chat at 5 p.m. Eastern every Monday, which is quite descriptively called Monday Night IBD. Dr. Cherubati takes a question about IBD from a colleague and presents it to the IBD community on Twitter, which includes physicians, dietitians, psychologists, surgeons, and patients. It was during a Monday Night IBD discussion that Jen opened up about her issues with fertility. She was concerned that women who have IBD might not be aware that their fertility could be affected or what their options are. I contacted Jen and she agreed to tell me more about her story. Jen lives in Scotland and she's in her mid-20s now, but her problems with IBD started when she was much younger. I have Crohn's disease. I was diagnosed in 2007 with it, um, but I've had symptoms pretty much my entire life. But because I was young and I didn't know I was any different to anybody, I just thought that when everyone got a sore tummy that they started crying um, or that like it was normal to sometimes be in the toilet for like half an hour with a sore tummy or just little things. But my parents would take me to the doctors about it. Like really repeatedly, pretty much from a toddler onwards. Um, but at the time, they never thought to do blood testing or anything. And because I'm so tall, a lot of it was put down to they thought that I was um, hitting puberty early and that I was experiencing cramp rather than Crohn's symptoms. So I kind of like continued like that until I was 12. Um, and when I was 12, I started to develop a bit of an eating disorder um, just around being people like in school that were thin and would comment on weight and things like that. And being around a big group of girls that I was friends with at the time who were all really focused on weight, I started to like avoid eating a lot of foods and started kind of like restricting everything and I started to eat. But... I noticed that around that time I started catching like quite a lot of bugs and flu and things like that and I got the chicken pox all in like a three week period um, and I found that like I was having sore tummy pain again and was basically saying like oh this is basically I'm just getting used to restricting what I'm eating that's why it's so easy not to eat or I'm not well and that's why it hurts to eat. So 
that kind of continued for a while and my parents really quickly figured out there was something going on with me like avoiding a lot of food saying that I'd ate at my aunt's house who lives across the road and then they would find out that like she'd seen me but I said oh no I'm getting dinner when I go home so they knew all along that there was something going on and had taken me to the doctors about that but they were still like she's a teenager this is normal None of what Jen was experiencing was normal, but she never quite knew what normal was to make a comparison. Over the next four months, her condition deteriorated. She lost more weight. She began passing blood in her stools and then eventually was passing nothing but blood. It was November. She looked up her symptoms and decided she probably had a serious condition, but she didn't want to ruin anyone's Christmas, so she waited to tell her parents. I didn't tell anyone until the day after Christmas when I went to the to- I went to the toilet and it was really bad. And then I just went straight into the bath and called my mum up. And I said, like, there's something I need to tell you. Like, don't panic. Like, this is what's happening. And she walked in, saw the toilet, started crying and could see how, like, my bones were poking out my skin and, like, my entire spine. You could see, like, every bit of it. And literally, like, the next day, that was me at the doctor's again, like, seeing them. And, like, things progressed quite quickly. So it was like they'd done a blood test. And within the time of me getting the blood test till when I came back the next week to get the results, I'd lost over five kilograms and like my weight and so that was like the first big thing of being like oh my god what's going on and at this point they've been telling us like oh there's no need to panic like what she's going through we'll get her sorted like going to the hospital would be like a big step and you don't need to do that so that day they sent out a different doctor um who had actually heard of Crohn's because my last doctor had no idea what IBD was and he actually was retiring around about that time so I think he was kind of just like passing his cases off to other people and so when that other doctor came she came to the house and was like you need to get her to hospital like right now and she needs to be seen by someone and she was the first person that mentioned IBD and We had no idea what that meant at all. That was just like letters to us. Jen had an episode at home where her mother couldn't wake her up. She was finally hospitalized, but because she was 13 at the time, she was being bounced between pediatrics and adult care. It took time to get a colonoscopy done and the results of the biopsies back. At that point, Jen finally received the official diagnosis of Crohn's disease. By then, she was in poor shape and needed a significant amount of time in the hospital to recover. Her family rallied around her. That night, I'd said to my mum, like, can you and dad go home and get me, like, new new PJs and, like, a towel? Because they have, like, a special bath here and I'm desperate for a bath. Um, So literally as soon as my mum and dad got halfway home... Um, my doctor at the time came in and said that I'd lost so much weight and was like severely malnourished that they had to give me a feeding tube. So I had to like phone my dad and be like, you really need to come up like as soon as possible. Um, And I, within like an hour of that phone, um, phone call, ended up having a feeding tube and I 
didn't eat anything for six weeks and I had it in for about two to three months to supplement what I was eating on top of it. But like at that time, they just kept saying to me, like, you're going to be like, okay, we're going to get you over this flare and then you can live like a normal life. But they did say to me at the time, it was up to me if I wanted to or not, but it wasn't a matter of if, it was when I would be getting an ileostomy because they already knew that the damage that was done to my intestines until that point was just going to get worse. And they said, like, there's a time frame at which it could start to turn cancerous. So it's up to you if you want to do that all right now or if you want to try the treatments first. So maybe a teenager was like, you're trying everything apart from that. That's my worst case scenario. Um, and it ended up being like, I was on, um, I think it was, was azathioprine first. Um, and then very quickly after a couple of months that didn't work. I'd got out of hospital after about two months and just was kind of recovering from home on steroids and things. And that kind of like took me up to like my 14th birthday. Um, and that was the first time that they started talking to me about fertility. And they had said, we're going to put you on methotrexate. Like it's low dose chemotherapy and there's a chance it could affect your fertility. But right now, if you want to, you can freeze your eggs and we'll organise it all for you. And they kind of explained the process to me. And instantly I was like, I don't want kids. I don't want anything. I just want to be healthy. Like, I just want a life. Please don't jag me with any more needles. I'll deal with that later on. So after that, I tried all the different treatments for about, I think it was about eight years or so. Um, and I've tried every treatment that was licensed until the end of 2014. Yeah, within six months, I had my ostomy. I ended up getting sepsis from the original surgery because my like colon fell apart the night before the surgery and I had no idea. And the surgeon had no idea and I woke up on the day of surgery thinking this is the first time I've ever felt well, like... I can't believe this is the day I'm getting surgery that I actually feel well. And the surgery was supposed to be five hours. Five hours turned into 12. Um, and he said that trying to take the intestines out, like they'd completely fell apart inside of me. He had to say, like, this is like a disgusting metaphor, but it's the only way that I've heard it described that helped me understand it. He said that he couldn't use tools to take it out. It was like the keyhole incision and he had to use his hands. So it was like a magician taking like hankies out of his pocket, like tissues out um, because it was like falling apart as he was taking it out. So that was how I ended up with sepsis. During the surgery, Jen's surgeon created an ileostomy. Her large intestine was removed, and a piece of her small intestine, which is called a stoma, was brought through her abdomen. She wears an appliance over her stoma to collect stool. Jen was more stable after the surgery, but again her doctors brought up the idea that her fertility might have been affected. By this time, she was in her early 20s, and she was ready to pay more attention to the idea of having a family in the future. 
Well, I think they brought it up when I was younger because with it being a low-dose chemotherapy and me still not being fully through puberty, they said that it could like damage the actual integrity of the eggs so that they would always be like infertile and they would never develop. But by the time that it got brought up again for the proctectomy, I had met Stuart, my boyfriend, um, and we had actually met less than three months before I got my original ostomy. So he had only known me, like, from going through this. And I think because we both went through it together, that's made us, like, so strong. So now that it came to that point, like, we were 21 when we met, um, and I was 23 and Stuart was 22 when they had said about, like, fertility treatment. So as soon as we'd heard that, like in the meeting, we were like, right, this is something that we're thinking about in the next few years. We would like to get more information about it. And luckily the hospital that I'm treated at just now has a fertility clinic joined to it that is partially NHS funded and it's private for the majority of cases. So we got very quickly within like a week of talking about it we got an appointment to meet with a professor about it who was like a specialist in dealing with people who had chronic illnesses and how that would affect like fertility and he was the person that said that during the surgery to get the proctectomy there could be damage to like my fallopian tubes or my eggs or the egg sacs it was like chances of it happening are small but the more you know, the better you can advocate for yourself. So we straight away were like, right, okay, we'll get the fertility testing done to find out if I'm fertile or not, and then we'll go from there. So the results came back and Stuart was perfectly healthy, um, but they'd said to me that the eggs that I had, um, the number of them and the quality of them was like someone in their late 40s. So that was like, they were saying to me, like, you're going to become menopausal early. But again, we can't give you a time frame for that. Like, you could end up getting pregnant, like, completely naturally. You might have no problems. But realistically, on our, like, our opinion is that you will never be able to get pregnant without the use of fertility treatment. Now faced with the reality of her fertility being compromised, Jen and her boyfriend Stuart had to make some decisions quickly, which isn't easy for a young couple. In Scotland, healthcare is provided by the National Health Service, or the NHS, which is largely paid for through taxes, although there are options for private insurance. However, fertility treatments for someone with Crohn's disease aren't covered under the NHS. Jen and Stuart had to come up with the funds for the testing and the treatment to begin the in vitro fertilization process on their own. Additionally, they had to decide whether to freeze Jen's eggs or to freeze embryos, which would mean harvesting Jen's eggs and fertilizing them with Stuart's sperm. They ultimately landed on freezing embryos. When Jen is ready to have a baby, she'll go through another procedure where the embryos will be transferred to her uterus 
and hopefully result in a pregnancy. This led to more awkward conversations, but on top of that, there were legal concerns, as well as the physical difficulties of the process, as Jen explains. But we had to go through like some extra legal paperwork saying that if something happened to me, Stuart would have like a legal right to the embryos. And if something happened to him, I would have the legal right to them because if we didn't do that, then the embryos would be destroyed. Like if I got like sepsis again and didn't survive it. Um, so we were really keen on that. And then we also had to like set up a plan in case we didn't work out as a couple so that basically it was Stuart in advance saying I wouldn't stop Jennifer from having a baby because this is her only chance. And like we just basically had to say that we were completely aware of that in case anything happened, which it's an intense conversation to have with, like, your first long-term boyfriend. So I was having a bit of a panic internally about this and the meeting. And, like, I felt sick being, like, I don't know how to say, like, I don't want to trap you, but I would rather do what we can get is probably get the most likely positive outcome from it. And as soon as I walked outside, Stuart just turned to me and said, so we're doing embryos, right? I, I nearly passed out like I had to sit down I was white I was clammy I was shaking and he was like are you okay and I was like I've never felt relief like that in my entire life <laughs> so yeah we very quickly had to go through the whole process of it so that started about 12 days of daily hospital visits every morning to get an internal ultrasound done um, it was like four injections a day that we had to do, which was really awkward because it was around exam time and Christmas. So we had went out for dinner with family and had to like go out to the car and do like an injection. Um, and then like, I'm sure there was something else that happened and it was in a really awkward place. Oh, I had to do it. Um, just before I left an exam because they had to be taken at the same time every day. So I was in a separate room and had to say, like, I'm not on drugs, it's fertility treatment. Like, I have a note. <laughs> Please don't think that I'm being weird. If you're uncomfortable, you can wait outside that this needs to be done, like, right at this minute. And it was, like, surprisingly quickly. We were told it could be three weeks we would be doing the injections for. But I think it was only 12 days. Um, and then we went in and it turned out to be a Friday and they said first thing Monday morning you're coming in you have to do this like booster sh uh, shot that will like get it ready for you um, and we'll go in and do it and we'll do it under like a twilight sedation so I started panicking being like they're only sedating me I'm not getting put to sleep like they're getting a needle there like I don't know how I'm going to cope with that um, and literally as soon as that IV went in I don't remember anything for like an hour and a half and I woke up or kind of found myself conscious while eating a bit of toast. So it all worked out really well. <laughs> At that point they came out and said that they got 12, um, 12 eggs so I burst out crying like instantly and was like can you bring my mum in and because I was getting like the removal done Stuart had to provide his part of it and like a 
certain little room. Um, and because he had to work that day, my mum had to come as well to like make sure that when I was going home, I could leave the hospital. <laughs> and after I hated the his bit, he went to work like two hours early. Like I couldn't look your mum in the eye. <laughs> so he got the news about the eggs by phone. So I just called him when I was kind of more awake and was still crying. And I think he thought that we didn't get any. And I was like, I think it's just everything. I'm so emotional. Um, and my mum started crying and even a nurse did. And everyone was like, this is great news because we didn't expect to get anything from it. Um, and then the next day they had said that they were putting together the egg and sperm and that by the next morning when they go to freeze it, we would know how many survived overnight. So I ended up being, I think they put six together. Uh, yeah, six embryos together um, that survived, like, the kind of genetics test that they'd done after and, like, were, like, a good enough grade to freeze. Um, and from that, we got four embryos that are now, like, in the freezer waiting on us um, to use them whenever we're ready for it. Now we're just trying to get, like, my next surgery to, like, refashion my stoma um, as soon as possible because I have like really severe leaks and everything um, so that I can get healthy enough to hopefully get into the PhD position that I'm applying for next year um, and if I get into that then you're salaried by like the university and they have like maternity leave so hopefully by the end of next year we'll be at a position where we'll, I'll be well enough to move out and we'll be able to start thinking about the frost and the embryos because we like are pretty aware that it'll probably take a few goes and that even if we can't have like our embryos work, they said that there's not really a reason why I couldn't carry a child. And if I hadn't been told to get my fertility checked when I did, I would have missed the only window to have a genetic child of my own because it's only been like two and a half years and at the start of this year I became menopausal so it was just luck on my part that I was able to go through the treatment but there could be like other women out there that are also like keen to like be parents one day or like have their own genetic baby um but just that like the only way that you would know if you've got a problem is if you get checked and even if you have to pay to find out your fertility levels um, it's not like a massive like amount of money but it could have a massive impact on your life. Jen has a blog, YouTube channel, Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram accounts under the name Crony Clothing. You will want to follow her for her content about her fertility journey, as well as her keen fashion sense, and to keep up with the latest on her hair color. I asked Jen what her goals were with her social media, and this is what she told me. I just think that I try to make the content that I wish was available for me. So I think, like, if I'd maybe read someone who'd been through this, talk about the fertility process, that wasn't actively trying to get pregnant. Um, I think that that would have made it easier for me. So I think if I'm going through this and like we're dealing with like a hard situation like this, there's got to be other people out there that are the same. 
super listener. Thank you to Jen McGregor for taking the time to connect with me before she left Scotland for a vacation to Disney World in Florida. Follow her social media at Crony Clothing to see what she's up to. I've put all the information in the show notes and on the episode 54 page on my website about IBD.com, where I also have more information about every episode, as well as my original written content and links to all my social media. I love bringing you this content and you can support me in return by sharing it with others and by leaving a review of my show in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. Thank you.